Hey listeners, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and throughout this episode, we will be discussing mental health and wellness. Although we don't directly discuss points that could stir up negative thoughts and feelings, we acknowledge this may not be an episode that you're up for right now. If that's the case, thank you for being a dedicated listener, and we'll catch you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by Stuart McCauley. Stuart McCauley has worked as an AME in general aviation for over 30 years, including specific roles as safety officer, service manager, and director of maintenance. He has also navigated through years of experiencing various levels of mental illness in the form of anxiety and depression. Despite some personal setbacks, he has also managed to keep his career moving forward, while constantly learning and contributing beyond his normal AME duties. Stuart began to share his thoughts about working through these challenges about 10 years ago, realizing that these conditions may be common to other AMEs and other aviation professionals. This led to a series of articles, presentations, and online posts concerning mental health in the aviation workplace, and has sparked conversations that may not have otherwise happened. Stuart continues to work as the quality manager at the Brantford Flight Center and remains active with the AME Association. His mission of educating the aviation community on the importance of mental health and wellness continues to push new boundaries in aircraft maintenance. I am so excited to have him join me today. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me here. Thank you for making the time for me. All that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? Well, I actually grew up being involved uh, with an aviation family. Um, My grandfather had been an aviator since he was pretty much old enough to fly, um, coming of age in the 1930s um, in northern Alberta. His earliest experiences included uh, taking the locals for airport uh, aircraft rides, um, barnstorming, and uh, also some uh, like weather reporting flights. And um, some of the nature of those flights, I'm not even still fully aware of. It's just the way that they did things back then. But Soon after that, he got into um, bush flying, and uh, it was not uncommon for him to be uh, chartering supplies or um, trappers or, uh, you know, just other other people um, to remote areas around the north, uh, including Alberta, B.C., and the Yukon. And um, part of his chore as being a pilot in remote areas was that he also had to be uh, the mechanic in the aircraft as well. And um, so he had to know everything about that aircraft and uh, also had to perform repairs that uh, would, would get him out of some places where he didn't have the luxury of uh, you know somebody else helping him work on the aircraft. So all that to kind of lead into the fact that he eventually joined the airlines, moved to Ontario and raised his family there. And um, as a child, I got to to hang around with him, and uh, there was always small aircraft in the family. And uh, 
I guess I just being around his stories about his northern adventures and having the opportunity to um, work on the aircraft that he owned and fly in those aircraft. Um, it just became a natural thing from an early age for me to take an interest. And um, yeah, and I think it just kind of grew from there. I don't know many people that can say that their grandfather worked as a barnstormer and that is <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I can definitely see how being raised in an environment that had to focus on aviation and also the maintenance portion of aviation would make it not necessarily certain, but very likely that you could see yourself there later on. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, having always been around general aviation, um, like I said, it was just a familiarity thing for me. And I enjoyed going to all the fly-ins and the air shows and, uh, you know, visiting friends and, and all that type of thing. And uh, I think I just became attracted to, um, you know, just that grassroots culture where, you know, you're going to visit people that you can, you know, you get to know or you interact with or you see them again when, when they come and fly to your area or something like that. So, you know, I kind of embrace that part of it as well. Now, your career has taken you through many parts of the aviation industry. Um, both with general aviation and also commercial operations. What are the major differences between working as a maintenance engineer in a general aviation context versus in a commercial operator? Well, working in general aviation uh, for sure has allowed me to see many types of smaller aircraft and to gain experience on the various systems um, and gain different skills. So, for example, the daily tasks on, on a, working on a small aircraft, that could involve working on engines, aircraft structures, flight systems, you know, and then you can add in, you know, your electrical and hydraulics or whatever, um, but it's a different experience every day. And it's those various disciplines, I guess, that um, kind of helps you to learn more about the troubleshooting process and, and how things work. And I was even able to apply that in different areas of my life as well, because I think most of my technical background started with aviation and went the other way, you know. Um, so that was kind of unique that way. Um, as far as the airlines, I mean, I can't speak too much to the airline experience, but I hear that the work is generally more specific and sometimes repetitive. And of course, the, the, uh, the team dynamic is different too, just because it's on a much larger scale. And uh, so the work is carried out differently. Um, but getting back to what I'm used to is, is again, I've spent most of my career um, around flying clubs. So flight training and, and being around students. And that's the kind of thing that helps motivate me uh, to keep, you know, doing what I do and to, to share the knowledge, you know, with and seeing young people kind of, um, you know, learning for the first time about some of these things and uh, just to share with them and, and see the light come on, you know, for them to learn different aspects of the aircraft or, or how it works. And what do you think of the students that are in the early stages of their flight training or really at any point that would go into a maintenance hangar and start asking questions? Uh, I always welcome it. 
And um, sometimes the uh, the flight schools, the curriculum is set up so they set aside a time where they can come in to the shop after hours. Um, so it's not in the middle of our business, but um, I can myself or somebody else can be there to actually walk them around the aircraft. And it's interesting that over the years, uh, it's not only interesting to see the students kind of come to life learning about the different parts of the aircraft, but sometimes the flight instructors say, oh, I didn't know that, or I hadn't seen that before. And so it's helpful for them as well. And uh, so I, I, again, I enjoy that aspect of it. I know I personally, whenever um, I'm leading up to a flight test, I spend a lot of time at the maintenance hangar trying to make sure I can absorb as much as possible. And you better thank everyone in the maintenance hangar with a carafe of coffee and a box of donuts. Uh, it's very, very patient when I'm yeah. walking in. Yeah. And that's just it, too. It's the coffee and donuts, too, that uh, we see fairly regularly. <laughs> it's also when you see... Um, after you do it a few times uh, and you're kind of engaging with students that maybe there's a particular area that you see that maybe is more difficult for them to acknowledge or get familiar with. And I'll try and focus on some of those areas as well. Now you have been a longstanding promoter of mental health awareness and mindfulness for those working within the aviation industry. How did you first approach discussions surrounding mental health within aviation? I have a lifetime relationship with mental health concerns, although I did not really begin to understand them until much later when I was entering my 30s. Um, the concept of mental health was rarely talked about as openly as it is now. Um, and I had found myself mostly through my, my later 20s um, dealing with mood disorders, uh, depressive episodes, and even various forms of anxiety. Um, and that was even before I knew they carried those labels with them. I, I didn't, I, I sort of had heard those terms, but I didn't know how they applied. It was just mental health was this kind of distant topic that I don't think anyone really talked about unless they were forced to, you know, unless it was part of their world. And here it was becoming part of my world. So I was having to learn about about that sort of thing and and kind of okay what what do these terms really mean and and you know how is it that i'm i'm falling into this kind of area of concern now um so eventually i had been diagnosed with having these conditions that i just mentioned um and i guess for me and being the type of person i am I wanted to come away and try and make sense with why was this happening to me and how was it happening? Um, how did I get this way? Um, I was curious to know a lot more about myself in that way and and just to try and learn, I guess, over and above what I was being told, you know, from uh, my family physician. Um, so, of course, most of us are dependent mainly on your on your family. Uh, healthcare uh, provider, um, but I started doing some more reading on my own, learning for myself, um, and not so much to challenge what I'm being told, but just um, 
in addition to what I was being told so that I can understand better. And um, I ended up finding more answers through reading, um, through finding more information on the internet. And I also started going to um, educational seminars that were put on by local mental health units and things like that. And I just kept that up for a while, for a number of years, and um, always kind of used that as part of my guide for knowing how to, to live my life while sort of navigating with these issues. Now, when it came to deciding to be more open regarding your mental health and wellness within the in aviation context, what was that like? Um, well, I mean, at first it's confusing just in general, no matter what you're doing. Um, but once I started to understand maybe a little bit better about what was happening and how my moods could be affected in a way that I didn't really have control over, um, I thought, well, in my job, I'm, I'm learning about different uh, safety um, guidelines and disciplines that, you know, like when human factors was, was new, we were learning about how we have to deal with distractions and communication and all these things. And I realized that these aspects of our job were being affected by my mental health. And um, so I started trying to make the connection to that as well and see that, okay, human factors and workplace culture is something we're being receptive to now um, as far as our technical job goes. But now it seems like there's a layer of, of kind of your personal life now um, on top of that in, in terms of whatever your, your state of mental health is when you're in the workplace. So there was some growing concern there as to how am I going to deal with this? And is it the type of thing that I just bring forward and talk about? But remember, it was still in those times when nobody was talking about it. So. I had to keep it to myself for a while until it made sense to me enough to know what I should do with that information. And human factors in its different phases since its inception related to ergonomics and then team development and now very much looking at individuals specifically, there is an aspect of your mental wellness and your personal life that is a part of the human factors. Yes, indeed. Um, and I'm the more I've been studying it, especially recently, um, I'm really seeing it as a definite um, layer of that that, you know, we need to look at. And uh, there's a lot of misconception about mental health and mental illness and what it means. And it's not the same for everybody. And the degree of it is not the same for everybody. So I think what comes first is understanding what it is we're even talking about. You know, whether your mental health is affected, just like your physical health can be affected, that's an easy one. Like, we just deal with it, right? But with your mental health, um, you know, we have to figure out where, where the issues are coming from that are causing us to maybe behave in a different way or causing us to react in a different way 
whether that's um, from outside stressors, um, you know, our diet, our, our relationships, the way we live our lives, all these things are, are all interconnected in some way. And um, whether it's your personal life or your workplace itself, um, they can all play a role in um, impacting your mental health, your state of mental health. And as you've touched on the idea that mental health and wellness manifests, manifests differently and influences people in different ways, part of the challenge with mental health is the stigma surrounding it. A large part of the work you've done to discuss mental health and aviation is challenging that stigma, particularly from regulators and employers. Uh, there are anecdotes of aviation community members who want to try and hide their mental health challenges uh, from, from regulators and work to rather not necessarily address the core issues. How do you think we can change this mindset? Well, the stigma of mental health or mental illness, if you want to say, is still probably the most significant barrier to better understanding how we're affected and how we're going to respond to it as well. I had participated in a um, uh, Transport Canada hosted a fit to fly workshop in 2017. And it was kind of their attempt to put some issues out on the table, mostly surrounding um, the pilot community. But, and then it, it, it made focus of um, uh, addictions and mental health kind of because they're kind of tied together. And what they were trying to do was start a conversation really and see where we as an industry stand on that topic and what our experiences have been with it. Um, so it was quite interesting because um, the panelists who were part of the workshop included EAP representatives uh, from some of the major airlines who pointed out that there are resources in place for people who are struggling with different issues, whether that's addictions and or mental health. Um, but what happens is that uh, a lot of the pilots were fearful of, um, I guess, self-reporting themselves because right away they thought that that would put their job and therefore their career in some sort of jeopardy because now because something's not quite right and they need treatment. Um, so that's part of the stigma. And um, and it was very difficult to try and find an answer to that because um, nobody really had the answer. And uh, because not everyone in the industry understands the concept, it all depends who you talk to as to what kind of response you're going to get. That may be positive, it may be negative. So, you know, that fear exists. And then even though this conversation was directed around airline pilots and, uh, you know, that could apply to anybody. That could apply to AMEs or, or anyone else who's in the industry um, who has a role to play in, you know, an aircraft uh, leaving the ground. It was kind of interesting um, in terms of getting the conversation going. And um, I've even spoken to some other groups since then who are involved with the airlines in, in various capacities. And they also said that, uh, you know, 
within their stories, they may not have said it directly, but it kind of alluded to the fact that they fear the re uh, repercussions of self-reporting some of their own conditions. And, um, you know, many of these people end up interpreting their jobs as just, they end up being a routine exercise in daily survival. I mean, um, the enthusiasm and the energy is gone and it's faded to the background. And now you're just struggling to get by and you're not sure what to do with that information that you have. Do you find that the conversation surrounding mental health is changing within aviation as the industry sees a large turnover of members due to retirements and replacements with younger individuals? The conversation surrounding mental health is definitely opening up thanks to the younger generations and newer ways of thinking. Um, each generation are often rooted in having some new cultural ideals um, based upon things we've learned along the way. Um, we're always learning. We're always trying to improve how we do things and why we do things. Um, we know more about mental health. Uh, we know more about the effects of mental illness. And uh, we're also learning more about effective treatments. And that's just all part of an evolving society that, you know, I think there's more opportunities now to become more aware than there was in the past. So there is definitely um, more potential now with, uh, with the newer generation um, to embrace resources that weren't always there. And also to recognize the fact that we're talking about these issues as being a normal part of our lives. And um, whereas we couldn't do that a number of years ago. At the 2020 Aircraft Maintenance Engineers of Canada Virtual Convention, you spoke on the subject of mindful leadership in aviation. How can mindfulness make people better leaders, followers, and overall team members? Well, mind, mindfulness is one of the more common resources that we talk about these days. Um, but the process does not come easy to most people. The concept of mindfulness also embraces some intentional practices of empathy, emotional intelligence, and just a genuine concern for people um, that you don't see every day. Um, so with mindfulness, the idea is to shift our focus away from ourselves, our own interests, or our ego, whatever it you know, happens to be leading um, in our lives, and sort of take a turn trying to envision ourselves in the other person's shoes, and then try and respond appropriately to that. Um, because you never know what you might find out about people. Um, mindfulness permits us to be more aware of our thoughts and to simply evaluate them before we respond to people. So it's, it's just kind of slowing things down a little bit and learning to look at issues from both sides and um, not necessarily making decisions that are always one-sided. Um, because you really don't know sometimes what the situation is and it, you could be doing more harm than good. I always say that, uh, you know, good leaders always embrace the mission and they, they strive to make this journey of us working together a success for everybody. And uh, it's not easy to develop as a leader because you do have to sort of consider these additional ways of dealing with people 
beyond just being a positional authority, right? Um, so the need for ongoing awareness and education is essential uh, for us to understand others and so that we know what to do to better equip them to do their jobs and to not just approach every situation just as status quo. We, we need to, to just to be more aware of what we're dealing with and who we're dealing with. How do you think mindfulness and emotional intelligence overlap? They actually overlap quite a bit. Um, in some ways, it's almost like just applying different terms to the same concept. Um, but I think we get set in our ways. And sometimes we model kind of what's been demonstrated to us in the past, which isn't always a good thing. Sometimes it is a great thing. Um, but if it's something that's um, causing problems, somebody as a leader may be carrying on those problems now to other people. And I think that's what they need to recognize is that, uh, you know, how are they being, um, or how is their authority being interpreted by those who are following? And uh, is it healthy? And what type of atmosphere does it cause or culture in the workplace? Um, are pe people resentful of going to work? Or do they enjoy coming to work? Um, do they collaborate? Or do they just go about their own business, as I said earlier, just trying to get through the day? So, um, you know, I guess to answer your question is that all these terms are very closely related and maybe they're just used differently in different areas. But um, uh, I like to kind of put them all together and refer to one and or the other as being the same thing or is very similar anyway. I just like to say that um, the AME Association, you know, that's played a big role for me. And um, I think that they're being involved with that uh, type of organization is something that uh, is special to me because they gave me the platform to talk about this, what is often a difficult topic. And um, they've allowed me to reach more people with the message. And they continue to support me in, you know, whichever direction I'm, I'm taking the conversation, um, whether it's through a series of articles or uh, taking part in their presentations and their symposiums. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's been a really big help. And I think it just shows their dedication to the industry and to the AMEs, um, you know, that they're advocating for, that there's more sides to this than, than just technical training. You have been a mentor to many since joining the aviation community. Do you find the challenges mentees face now differ from the challenges you faced when you joined the aviation industry? Yeah, mentoring is an effective uh, uh, a means, I guess, of, of helping to train people. And it has changed over the years, I, I think. Um, again, it comes from learning from the past. It, learn, it, it, um, it also comes from having more resources to draw from, more experiences. Um, but it's definitely a proven strategy that seems to work well in most industries. Um, people learn best on the job from other people. And, uh, you know, they learn from people who have come before them and they've learned both the positive and the negative sides of how to do the job. And 
you know, now they're willing to impart what they learned from that to help make the process easier for the next person. And I think it kind of ties into safety management as well, um, where we're looking at the way we used to do things and the potential of the way we can do things and draw from some of those experiences as well and uh, those processes um, just to try and help the next person along. And it's not, um, it's, it's not just a, a technical mentoring, it's just helps them to build relationships as well, to know how to work with people and to be open-minded when you're working with different people and to in interpret what it is that you know you're learning and, and what you're hearing and and how that all fits into to the picture of how to do your job now how has mentorship influenced your career overall well i i've had some great mentors over the years and they've all played a, a vital role in my development to some degree um some of them also taught me lessons that, you know, at the time I, I might have even resented just being a younger guy kind of with my own mind. But later on, I thought, yeah, well, you know, they're right. And uh, they've been there, done that. And uh, so that sometimes helps. And, um, you know, then I, from that, I just learn to kind of work from my own self reflection and, and, and learning to keep an open mind with, uh, you know, how things should be done. Um, you know, anyone can become a mentor or a leader um, by developing a good relationship with somebody um, and maybe recognizing when there's um, good teaching opportunities. Um, but like I said, it, mentoring is really key to um, building relationships while you're building the skills and the competence in another person. With you being so open to discussing mental illness and overall wellness, how do you feel that that has influenced the discussions and maybe the type of mentees that you do have? Um, yeah, it's definitely helpful uh, because for me, I've for, for whatever reason that I felt safe to to talk about this and felt also on the other hand that it was necessary to talk about it um then i think that kind of opens the door for some people who may be going through some similar experiences um and it doesn't have to be the same uh you know experiences i've had or the same diagnosis i've had but just that something isn't right and something within your mental capacity just isn't working the way you think it ought to work and that could be from any number of influences. So as a starting point, if you're open, just to talk about um, just the simplest things about just trying to live your life, um, never mind going to work and, and the fact that you have to either, you know, fly a plane or, or fix an airplane or whatever, um, you have to be a human being first. And you have to, um, the sooner you can address some of your internal issues, I think you can work them out a lot quicker as well. Um, what happens is when I alluded earlier to the fact that people were afraid to speak out because they didn't know where that conversation would go and it may end up poorly for them, um, 
you know, the sooner I think you can deal with it and the sooner that the decision makers and the managers of the organizations we work with understand that as well, then you have a starting point of being able to work together and, you know, and sort out these issues without having to sort of play this dreadful game of, of, you know, not knowing the whole story and, and going, going to work when you're not fully there. Um, you know, um, you know, they call that presenteeism when somebody's at work, but they're not really engaged. And to me, that, that, that fits right in with any safety concern that you have in the aviation industry. Absolutely. When we think about job performance in aviation, it's fundamentally based in safety and having people that are healthy, happy, and ready to go is key to the safety of all different facets of the aviation industry. Exactly. Um, and just like you said, there's so many facets to it as well. Like it's not just the technical, it's, it's relating to people, it's communicating. And is it verbal communication? Is it written communication? There's so many different aspects that we deal with in our, our daily lives in aviation. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? I think in general, I just want to say that I, I admire people who take the time uh, to get to know other people. And I think my most impactful mentors recognize certain elements of my personality or the way that I approach the job um, and then kind of made a point of addressing some things about how I was working that could help to improve what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate that. Um, for me, I think the first person I admire the most would be my grandfather. Um, he took an active interest in my development as a young person and a budding AME, as he used to say, and maintained that interest in my life all along, you know, until until his passing, which was in 2003. Um, I know it's kind of easy to pick a family member um, as a mentor, but in this case, I think there was um, more of a relation that was in the interest of, you know, my success, and he acted upon it as well, and always tried to stay up to date with what I was doing and what my questions were and what my concerns were about moving forward. and. You know, I think this is how we should be, um, you know, to those who are under our influence, if we want to learn to become mentors or leaders. Um, so I try and live by that example now, uh, making it easier for others to get up and, and try again if, you know, if they're having issues or uh, just be a sounding board for them, you know, when they're taking on some of life's concerns while they're trying to do their job. I think the biggest thing for most people within aviation is truly the network of support that they have and having that for you come from your own family. I think that's just so, so special. It, def it definitely plays a big part of it. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I had that influence and, you know, and that's, like I said at the beginning, that's why I got into aviation. Um, not just because the aircraft itself was there, but, I liked the way that I saw my grandparents, for example, interact with the aviation community. And that is also what kind of drew me in. 
um, to become more interested in, in that thing. Yeah. Now, what are some activities you enjoy outside of aviation? Um, well, I mean, there was a period in my career where I uh, pretty much embraced aviation maintenance 24-7. It was kind of a, uh, a constant distraction for me. Um, I think partly because I was young and energetic and I was kind of learning about everything all at once. And uh, I wanted to get out there and just have different experiences with the aircraft and and work on different types of aircraft and do different jobs. Um, but I think later on, as I was struggling with my personal life, I also used my job as uh, an outlet, I think, to escape, say, the loneliness of depression or, you know, a lot of rumination and just thinking too much and things like that. But over time, uh, I found some other creative outlets and that I still maintain today. And that includes enjoying the outdoors and, um, you know, just spending quality time with people that I like. Um, and it just helps me to keep my life more balanced and doing different things that kind of offset what I enjoy about my work. And, um, and then, you know, I, I just believe that surrounding yourself with the right people, um, is a big game changer. Um, and that I can definitely say has helped me along my journey. And, um, I think other than that, I enjoy writing. I've written a lot about my own experiences. Um, I've also written a lot of technical articles and just information that relates to um, people understanding maybe how the business side works. Like I, I've been at a flying school, a different flying schools, but I've been around flying schools for most of my career. And um, I like to be able to explain some of the difficult concepts of how we operate and how technical dispatch works, for example, and, and uh, you know, what is the process for going through an inspection on an aircraft and things that just help broaden people's perspective of, of understanding what it's all about. And um, yeah, so besides that, I'm, I'm into reading. Uh, I read a lot of um, uh, history and nonfiction type things or self-help kind of books that uh, I never seem to run out of. I, I always make sure I buy more than I can read. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career? Okay, that's an easy one, actually. Um, some of my favorite memories, I think, were from the occasions that I had working on float planes by the lake. Um, I started my apprenticeship doing that, and I also revisited that type of work at another point in my career. Um, and I think sometimes there just seemed to be the right combination of a time and a place where I was doing something that I really enjoyed, like working on the types of aircraft that I like, being outdoors. And it was just in those moments that, you know, I couldn't think of any other place that I'd rather be than just doing that at that time. And I think that's the type of experience that has stood out for me the most. I can attest to how in the moment and beautiful it is when you go to a float base early in the morning and just take it all in. I can imagine knowing that you get to work on that aircraft would be just so much fun yeah and and i mean you compare that to how great it is just taking in some beautiful scenery in the outdoors and things 
And then you just, you know, add a nice float plane in there too. And that just, that just boosts it up to a whole new level. <laughs> Stuart McCauley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been great. Hey, listeners. According to the Mental Health Commission of Canada, in any given year, one in five Canadians will personally experience a mental health problem or illness. Currently, people are experiencing unprecedented stresses and feelings of anxiety related to the COVID-19 pandemic and the impacts it's had on our lives. 40% of Canadians say that their mental health has deteriorated since the onset of the pandemic, according to the Canadian Mental Health Association. If you or someone you love is struggling, there is hope, there is help, and you are not alone. Please talk to your healthcare provider or contact your local Canadian Mental Health Association, and please visit cmha.ca slash bounceback for more information. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.